0: We have been talking about the effect that occurs when a shift takes place in spiritual coverings, such as the shift that has just occurred over Christian Tabernacle. There has been a noticeable shift over our church. Now, you say, why are shifts necessary? They're necessary because churches can stay in one place for a while. And do you realize that that is actually a part of the plan of God? It is. God told Noah that as long as the earth remains, it would be seed time and harvest, day and night, cold and heat, summer and winter. Seasons are a natural part of life in this world. They're necessary for our maturation, our growth, our pruning. Winter comes for a reason to this earth. In fact, the Bible goes on to tell us that Israel camped in one place sometimes weeks, not just days. They would sometimes stay in one place for weeks, months, and even years. God came to Israel one time and said, you've come past this mountain long enough. They've been there years. Now it's time to move. And when he said that, the cloud moved. The covering that I've talked to you about the last three weeks, it moved. Underneath that covering, they were divinely protected, supernaturally provided for, given resources they could not possibly have found in the desert by themselves. The enemy could not get near them because that cloud was like a wall of fire around about them. Here's what I want you to see. If you're standing here and this cloud is over you and now the cloud moves, you don't move with it, guess what? Everything that you had access to when you were under it has now moved on. What you need to realize is that in the kingdom of God, God does move on. We often read in Scripture, hear or hear people talk about in Scripture that, that the Lord came and talked with Adam in the cool of the day, walked with Adam. That's not what the Bible says. It said the voice of the Lord came and walked with Adam in the cool of the day. The voice is a moving thing. It is walking. It is not stationary. It is not stuck in one place. The reason that we have denominational conflict is because we have people that at one point in time had an encounter with God, and the voice kept walking, but they stopped and built a shrine like Peter, James, and John wanted to do on the Mount of Transfiguration. Lord, let us build a shrine here. The Lord would not allow them to do that. The reason is is because once you start building shrines to past experiences, when the voice moves on, you get left behind. This would be exactly the situation that you would be in if you were in Israel when the cloud moved. The supernatural wall of protection has just moved on. Now you're exposed and vulnerable. The cloud moved on with the manna that it carried with it, with the rock that gushed a river of water for 40 years without interruption. All of the things that you experienced have now moved. I want you to understand that the cloud has now moved to Christian Tabernacle. There has been a noticeable shift over this church. And what's significant about this to you personally is that everything that is under a spiritual covering, when that shift occurs, it occurs with them as well. I've shared with you that I've heard from a number of my sons around the world, and they have experienced noticeable shifts. In their ministry, because this ministry and this church provides them spiritual covering. And it's almost crazy to hear some of the things that are happening. Because it just happened at the same time with us. That's really easy to understand if you can understand the, the concept of dynamic spiritual coverings and their function. This passage in Hosea has particular application to this church. And special meaning to us. It implies elevation. More modern translations, as I've said, don't say this day upward. They say this day forward. But when you go back to the original Hebrew, the word is literally upward. Why is that important? Because you can move forward and be going down the hill as you're moving forward. You can be going forward and be on a plateau and not ascending or descending. This particular passage doesn't just imply or suggest forward momentum. It also talks about acceleration or elevation as you're moving forward. And that's important. This verse is literally, I believe, the calling and the mission of this particular church and ministry. You see, we're called to elevate the lives of humanity. To me, that is the core essence and message of the gospel. Don't just help people move forward into the future with their lives and live until they die. Help them to live lives that are elevated. The reason that this is so important and vital is because to many believers, the gospel message is all about get me saved and get me rapture ready. Get me ready to go to heaven when I die. And I keep saying it over and over again. It's not just about pie in the sky when you die in the sweet by and by. It's about something sound on the ground that can be found while you're still around. Amen. You don't need to die to enjoy the benefits of the gospel He came that you might have life more abundantly right here. He literally came to undo the effects of sin, what we call theologically the fall. Interesting fall, the opposite of elevation. Boom, going the other way. When Adam and Eve sinned and failed, they brought upon us their fallen state because we are their their descendants. We came into this world not choosing to be lost. We were already that way. They lost everything that was provided for them while they were under their covering in the garden supernatural resources, divine authority, life without death, all of the other things that they enjoyed there, they lost. The ability to hear the voice of God, commune with God, relationship, everything instantly was severed. That's the effect of sin. When Jesus came, he did not just come to save us so we could now go to heaven. The Bible said he came to save us and destroy the works of the devil. All of these other things that I've talked about, lack of resources, lack of authority, marriages falling apart. A young lady that has been a member of our church for a year and a half stopped Pastor Donnie and I in the hall and she whispered to Pastor Donnie that she's going through the trauma of a divorce. She's in this service right now. That's the kind of stuff that Jesus came to help people recover from and be healed from. Sometimes you don't get to vote. Sometimes somebody makes a decision, and there you are, and you don't get to say, let's not do this as a family. They do it, and you're left with their decision and the consequences of it. But I can promise you this. You might not be able to stop them, but you serve a God who will turn your life around. Amen. And that's why I like this verse from this day upward, and its original meaning. And what I'm saying is that when Jesus came, He came to make us a heck of a lot better offer than the devil did Adam and Eve. Speaking of better offers, did you hear about the wedding rehearsal where the groom approached the pastor with an unusual offer, Look, he whispered, "I'll give you a hundred dollars if you change the wedding vows for me. When you get to the part where I'm supposed to promise to love, honor, and obey and be faithful to her forever, I'd appreciate it, he whispered, if you would just leave that out. And he handed the minister a $100 bill and walked away satisfied. On the day of the wedding, when it came time for the groom's vows, the pastor looked the young man right in the eye and said, will you promise to prostrate yourself before her, obey her every command and wish, serve her breakfast in bed every morning of her your life, let her go on shopping trips and swear eternally before God and your lovely wife that you will not even look at another woman as long as you both shall live. And the young groom gulped, looked around and said in a tiny voice, Yes. What else was he going to say, right? And then leaned forward toward the pastor and whispered as he hissed, I thought we had a deal. And the pastor put the $100 bill back in the groom's hand and whispered, She made me a better offer. Amen. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's what Jesus did, made us a better offer. Can I, can I hear somebody say, thank God for that? I mentioned that because in this whole thing of relocating, as I'm working into the message today, I want to introduce something to you that we will need to change the name of our church when we build this new building. I've mentioned that before all along. We need a name that reflects our mission. And some people, you know, they kind of feel like they're being a little bit disloyal to the past if they leave a name they've had for many, many years, but yet when you look at at ancient Israel, they had five different historical places of worship in different locations in their history. And I find it interesting because six is the number of man, and five is the number of grace. And God moved the, t- the tent or the tabernacle or place of worship five times to minister his perfect grace to mankind. First, they worshiped at the tabernacle in the wilderness. The tabernacle was literally a tabernacle, and that means tent, and for that's what the word itself meant. And it was called the tent of meeting, referring to the place where Israel met with God in the wilderness after being in in captivity in Pharaoh's Egypt. When Israel settled in the promised land, they made the tabernacle to reside on a permanent basis at Shiloh, which means tranquil. And then when David came and became king, they moved the tabernacle to Jerusalem and made some modifications and that they removed the veil, surrounded the ark of the covenant with 288 worshipers and shifts where they would worship 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and the veil then was not needed, and David literally went in to the presence of God, which up until that time in the old tabernacle, both in the wilderness and in Shiloh, you couldn't do unless you were the high priest." And they called that David's tabernacle. And then there was Solomon's temple, this ornate, beautiful place of worship that Solomon built that David spent his life laying resources aside for. And then after Israel was carried away into captivity and they came back in 70 years fulfilling Jeremiah's prophecy... They built Zerubbabel's temple, and then after the Romans and all of that came through 167, BC, or before Christ, and their damage was done, there was a new temple that was even constructed called Herod's Temple. Now, what's significant about this is that it was the same God that was in all places, and and. God kept allowing them to move as Israel matured in their relationship with God. You might not realize it, but this church is not a young church. We were developed as a house meeting in 1950. That's 67 years ago. Think about it. And we have had different places of worship Uh, not just here. When I came here 29 years ago, this building had been built and I came and it was called Christian Tabernacle. I quickly realized that it wasn't going to work to continue the name of this church forever. I did a missions trip to to Russia with my buddy Bob Weiner, and while we were there, we started 48 new churches. We were on the campus at Kassan University, the university in Kassan, Germany, I'm sorry, Kassan, Russia, where Lenin literally started the Marxist revolution with, with, I think it was 17 or 18 people. And we went there training these young university students. They went out and started churches. We supported the, the birth of 48 churches for a year. And one of them now numbers over 7,000. Uh, one church has literally started 300 congregations that it is birthed out of that church. And this is what I want you to realize. When I gave them the money... I I told them, Bob and I were sitting and I said, Bob, I want them to honor the church back home, that sacrificed for these churches to begin. Could they just name them Christian Tabernacle? And Bob said, I don't see why not. And he turned and they translated that to the the guys we were training. They looked a little uncomfortable and came back and, and made a few remarks in which they were translating back to us. And they said, if we insist, they will, because they do want to show honor. But what they wanted us to know is that tabernacle in Russian means tent. And in Russia that has been there so long, communism was impermanent. It was, it was, not, it was not permanent. It proved that it could not sus- be sustained during the years. They don't want Christianity to be viewed as temporary. Do we really want them to name their churches the Christian tent? And I said, no, of course not, because that's not what the intention was. And so I've prayed from that day till now about what we should name the church and about moving on. And we've considered all kind of names. I've run it by our staff. I've put it out to the board of directors and different people have talked about it. We've got tremendous feedback from many of you. And I'm going to just throw this out there, not because we're here selecting a name today, but because I want you to know that that's in the near future for us because we're supposed to close on the loan and start the construction this coming month in February. But I've had people say Ascending Kingdom Church, that resonates with me. Throne Room Church, they all resonate with me. Aspire Church, Inspire Church, Elevate Church, Uh, Vertical Dimensions Church. And then the three that have gotten the most positive feedback is Elevate Life Church, Aspire Life Church, and Inspire Life Church. All three of those say the same thing that we're talking about upward momentum. And if you don't think it's a challenge to find a name that encapsulates that verse right there, you just go ahead and try, amen. Now, one of the reasons that I mentioned this is because names are prophetic in nature. And that's extremely important if you are of Jewish origin because they believe the name literally that was spoken over you, spoke into your life, what would happen in the course of your life. And so we want a name that reflects our identity that is prophetic in that regard. But moving on, this is important to us. So I'll just leave you with that. And we're talking about the eight different kinds of spiritual coverings, of course. I'll go through this quickly. And and when I talk about spiritual coverings, and the reason I'm doing this is because you need to know what happens when a shift occurs in a spiritual covering, because these are the areas that are impacted and affected, that not only in the spiritual covering, but now, because this is your covering, will be impacted in your life. There are blood coverings. They provide divine protection. There are prayer coverings. They access the promises and the provisions of God. Worship coverings. A worship covering enables divine access to the glory dimension. You can't get there unless God lets you. And no man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him. Coverings of grace. Grace coverings create an open heaven and cause one to walk in divine favor. Love coverings. Between the services, I met with a minister that has been in ministry for over 30 years. And he was a part of a covering. And when he decided to leave their denomination, do you know what they did? They told him, you're in heresy if you leave this denomination because we're the only ones that know God. They went and packed up his wife and kids and moved them out of the home and instructed his wife to file for divorce. I don't care who you are. You have no right to do that to a family that God has put together. I need a better amen than that. And this is what they said. We're the covering. They're under our authority. Yeah, let me tell you what happened before you came around, though. Amen. Before God ever created the church, he created Adam and Eve and created the institution of marriage. A, A church is supposed to assist you in your journey toward God. But if you're not under a love covering, baby, they'll rip you to pieces. And churches have done damage because they didn't have love as a part of the covering. They are coverings of glory. Coverings of glory enable access into the manifest presence of God. They impart the measure of God's glory that that covering has also personally experienced. It works on this principle. The spiritual principle is such as I have, give I to thee. I can't give you what I don't have. This church can't give you what it has not experienced. And then there are ministry coverings. That's the eighth. What is a ministry covering? It's a combination of the previous seven. When you come into a church and are covered by a church covering, that's what a church covering begins to do. It enables you to be divinely protected. The prayers of God's people join together with yours to raise up a wall of protection. Access to everything you've ever needed that God ever saw you would ever require to fulfill your destiny. You need to understand God is not going to be persuaded because you change his arm, uh, twist his arm rather. God released it the moment he brought you into this world. You need somebody to partner with you and lift up your hands with you and get into that heavenly realm and pull down everything God spoken over your life. Can I hear an amen? And all of these other things are similarly important. Last week we spoke on prayer, prayer coverings and how vital they are and how the prayers of others joined together with yours will make things happen that you praying alone will not be able to see in your lifetime, and that will surprise you because you don't even have the level of faith necessary to make it happen, but you join with others, and there's something about kicking that prayer then up to a different level. It's prayer on steroids is what it is, and it moves God, and I I, I won't re-preach that, but I'll say two things. The Greek had two words, primary words for time. They actually had several Several words, but two primary words. You're familiar with this. One of those was chronos. It's where we get our word chronograph, chronometer. It speaks of the passage of ordinary time. That is seconds and minutes and hours and days and weeks and months and years and um, centuries and millenniums. That's chronos time. It's ordinary time. It's not significant. It's just sitting there on the, and and, and as life is going by with nothing memorable occurring that's impacting you. Am I talking to anybody in this building that ever got stuck in Kronos time? Come on, talk to me now. You felt like things were going okay, but it just wasn't nothing changing. It was just, that's how it's been for days. And you're like Bartimaeus by that same highway. Day in, day out, year in, year out. You need something to happen to shake something up in your life. Amen. Not getting any worse, but it's not getting any better. Just say the word stuck. Would you do that? I'm going to teach a series on that sometimes. You get stuck in life. You get stuck in your marriage. You get stuck in your finances. You get stuck in your ministry. You get stuck in your growth and your relationship with God. And sometimes you need somebody to come along and winch you out. Amen. Pull you out of it. Kairos is the Greek word that means a set or appointed time in the purposes of God. Now, here's what I want you to know. Prayer coverings can help change chronos time in your life to kairos time watch it there's a man called Cornelius that is praying and fasting and he's not even he's not even a Jewish believer he's a gentile amen he's praying and fasting and there's another guy named Simon Peter who's in Joppa the house one Simon the tanner And they also, the Bible says they prayed and fasted. That was the description of the early church. Read it in Acts chapter 2. Continue doing that. Prayer, fasting, supplications. Now, they've been praying and fasting. Now, Peter's about, apparently, this is what I'm deducing, is about to break the fast because he's hungry. He goes on the rooftop. Watch what happens when you're stuck in chronos time and you begin to pray and your prayers are being joined together with somebody else's that you might not even know is praying about that very thing. While Peter is praying, passing Chronos time, waiting for a meal to be prepared, somebody else is praying, and because their prayers get hooked up together in the purposes of God, God lets Peter see a vision. Hello, somebody. And while they're fixing the meal, the doorbell rings at the front door, and God suddenly shifts Chronos time into Kairos time. And one of the greatest miracles that ever occurred, a revival that continues to this very day, the greatest revival that's ever been recorded in history, the revival among the Gentiles started as a result of God changing Crotos' time to Cairo's time. If you feel stuck, all I can say is get connected to a spiritual covering that will help shift your season for you in your life. Oh, somebody in the building say Amen. And then we come to worship coverings, and I've really got to go through this quickly. Isaiah 61 and 3, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of the Lord, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Remember that. He may be glorified. It's God's glory that is the ultimate uh, purposes of everything I'm talking about. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. If you look at the Hebrew, the word garment literally means the vestment that that the priest wore when he ministered to God. It comes from the Hebrew word atah, and it means to cover or covering. Oh, God, have mercy. Amen. When you are covered by a worship covering, this is what happens. God changes and mo- moves out the spirit of heaviness. The word spirit there means the breath, the spirit, or life. The word heaviness means dim, colorless, dull, or faint. In other words, it means that without a worship covering, your life is likely to be dull, colorless, faint. But when you're under a worship covering, covered, hear what I'm talking about right here. Come on, help me out here. Come close. Lean in. I want to talk to you right now. When you're under a worship covering, God can shift things, and your colorless life suddenly becomes dramatic, amen, as God begins to accelerate what he's doing in your life. Psalm 27, 13, David said, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Worship coverings literally keep you from fainting, being colorless. That's what that word said, amen, faint. That's what the word heaviness literally meant. According to David, I would have fainted unless I had believed to see the land, the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What I have found that worship does is it makes you see the goodness of God in the land of the living. We are a fallen race that live in a fallen world that's ruled by a fallen Lord. You're not going to do anything to change that anytime soon. That's when his kingdom, when his kingdom comes, that's going to be changed. But until then, Jesus said, when you live in this world, you will have tribulation. Hello, somebody. You're like I am. You're made of the same mud that I came from. When you are out there in that fallen world, you're dealing with stuff. You walk in these doors, you've been thinking about stuff you've had to deal with, problems that you've dealt with on the job, in life, in your health, in your marriage, with your kids, or wherever it may be. What happens when you come into worship is you get your eyes off of that and you begin to see God. And you know what that does? It enables God's goodness to occur in your life, not in the sweet by and by when you die, but right now you can see the goodness of the Lord while you're in the land of the living. Or as the psalmist said in Psalms oh magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. And what's interesting is that the psalmist used this word magnify 1,000 years before Christ was born. It was not until 100 A.D., which is 900 years later, amen, that glass was invented that if you held it just right, caused an object to appear slightly larger than it was it was in the year of 1100 ad i'm sorry i said 900 years after david it was 1100 years it was in the year in the year 1250 ad i'll get that right or over 2500 years after david wrote this psalms that magnification was literally discovered that magnifying lens were developed before there ever was a scientific methodology for examining things called magnification. The psalmist said, if you will come worship with me, it will cause God to look bigger to all of us. Amen. You will magnify the Lord. And what will be the outcome? Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and he heard me. When you start seeing God as bigger than your problem, you know what happens? God begins to listen to you. As long as you magnify the size of the problem and diminish the size of God, listen, God is not moved by need. He is not moved by effort or he is not moved by human work. He is not moved by labor. You know what moves God? It's when faith places a demand upon the anointing. In faith, you approach God. And to do that, before you can have faith, you've got to see the Lord magnified bigger than your problem now this brings us to the point if we're going to talk about worship coverings and we need to see this occur in our lives where our our God is magnified greater than our problems are because our problems can be all encompassing they can be overwhelming I mean they they can they can be David said Uh, You know, when he talked about being in one of those situations, he said, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Sometimes you just have a hard time finding it by yourself, and you need somebody to lead you because you've been slapped silly by life. Am I talking to anybody that's ever been there? Come on, I want to know, do I have any real people here? Amen. You ever get slapped until you don't know which way is up? You're like a boxer that's punch drunk. You're reeling on the ropes, and life has been rough to you. Well, okay, for you to experience the benefit of worship, you've got to know what worship is. And this may seem like a strange thing to talk about in church, but I personally am convinced after all these years of ministry that many people don't know what worship truly is. Some people think just going to church is the act of worship. I'm serious. I I run into it all the time. David, I've seen it so many times in Africa. Did you go worship Sunday? And what they meant was not did you go worship, did you go to church? I see it here among people. And then again, on the other hand, some think that the act of prayer is worship. For others, it's a choir or it's singing. For others, it's exuberant praise such as dancing before the Lord. Man, we had church today. We worshiped. I mean, I I danced before the Lord. I worshiped. And let me explain something to you. I think that worship is better understood and comprehended if we don't look at it as one of these particular things, but rather as a process Help me out now. Listen, I want to really talk to you. Go ahead and preach, Pastor. I will. Thank you very much. Amen. Because there are three movements to this orchestrated movement of worship. The symphony of worship is comprised, are made up of three movements. And and they are praise, or rather they are thanksgiving, they are praise, and then worship. Listen to the psalm of Psalms 101 through 5. Make a joyful shout. To the Lord, all ye lands, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. Do you see the inversion of the normal role that we occupy? We're not the God of our lives. He is. When you begin to get before God, you diminish your size and you increase his. Hello. Amen. We are his people and the sheep of his pastor. And then the familiar verses, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful. To him and bless his name for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. You want to get to that last phrase where God is good, you want to get to that where his mercy is extended in your life, you want to get to that where God blesses not only you but your kids and your grandkids and your great grandkids. Then you need to learn that worship is a progression, it is not a singular event. The first dimension to worship is thanksgiving. This is best understood by going to the tabernacle. When you look at the tabernacle, the dimensions and and the diagram of the tabernacle, you will see that it was composed of three different parts. That's a tabernacle, the wall of the tabernacle is all that within the white. But inside of that, there was a tent. And so there was the entrance and that led you into the inner court where there was the altar of sacrifice and the bronze basin. And then you went into what is called the holy place where their table of showbread was at, the lampstand and the altar of incense. And then you came to the third dimension which was the holy of holies or the most holy place. Some people have called that. Alright, now watch it. In the outer court it was only brass. Brass is the metal that denotes the character of man. It's an alloy. In the middle section, the holy place, the instruments were a combination of brass and gold. So now gold is the the metal that denotes the character of deity. You have moved from the dimension of man into the dimension where now there's a combination of man and God. But when you get into the holy of holies, there was no brass. It was all gold. It's all God. It's a progression that leads you into the realm of the supernatural. This is what you're supposed to understand. The psalmist said in the message, enter with the password, thank you. Make yourselves at home talking praise. Thank him, worship him. The password to get into the outer court. Are you listening? You know what a password is. You ever get locked out of your computer or your iPhone because you forgot your own password? One of your kids got a hold of it and changed it for you. and You didn't like that, but nothing you can do about it now. What happens is if you don't want to get locked out, you need to know what the password is. And the password is you enter his gates with thanksgiving. Amen. The second dimension is praise. It causes you to literally go a step beyond thanksgiving. And that's where you now remember this. In thanksgiving, you're thinking about what God's done for you. You came in and your eyes were on your problems. But now what our responsibility is as a church is to take your thinking and make it go 180 degrees the opposite direction. You come in with the worries and cares of life. A church service has not fulfilled what God wanted it to fulfill in the lives of its members unless it goes through this progression. We need to make you stop looking at problems and start thinking about God's been good to me. That's the first step. And now you're in the outer court. And then the next step is praise, where you begin to think about the attributes and the greatness of God, because what happens when you think about what he's done for you? Do I have anybody in the house that God has ever been good to you? Did God ever show up when everybody else walked away? When your family couldn't help you, your your mama couldn't help you, the attorney couldn't help you, the specialist couldn't help you. Did God ever come in and had it not been for the Lord, who was on my side? Amen. Amen. God wanted Israel to go through this progression every time they came to worship. Thanksgiving first, because it begins to tilt your attention toward what He's done for you. The automatic response is when you see that He parted the the waters that nobody else could part, when He made a way that nobody else could make a way for, when He gave you manna on the ground when you were fresh out of provision, when God healed your kid and you didn't have money to go to the doctor. When When God delivered you from drugs, when God set you... I need to talk to somebody right now. When God showed up in your life and began to be active and demonstrate that he still thinks he's God, whether you did or not, by doing God's stuff just to prove he was still God. Do you know what I'm talking about when God shows up and says, you have your doubts, that's okay, just sit back and watch this. I still think I'm God. And then he does something that blows your mind to the place that you can't help but thank him and then begin to praise him. But that is not as far as you should go. That's not the end result. I am convinced that very many believers don't even go into the first dimension when they go to church. And if they don't go into the first dimension, I am particularly concerned that we have people that don't go into the second. Let me not talk about other people elsewhere. I want to tell you very many people here do not. And you can see this because folk will habitually come into service late. Mm Mm-hmm. Excuse me, I'm going to be Papa. We have any visitors here? Just close your ears right now while I talk to the family. Amen. You're telling me, or you're telling God, not me because I'm insignificant, where you view, the, how much you view Thanksgiving and, and, and praise and worship to be. If you come in Sunday after Sunday late, look, our job is to bring you through this process Amen. And if you don't even come through the process, you hadn't been to Thanksgiving, you're sure not going to go to praise. And if you hadn't gone to praise, you're not getting into that inner court back there called the holiest of all. Amen. You're not going behind the veil. Here's the point I want to make guess how many miracles happen in Thanksgiving? Very few. Guess how many miracles happen in praise? Very few. Do you know where the supernatural is at and it's all God? It's behind that veil right there which means that if you come to the house of God and those needs that have burdened you down, you really want to get rid of them. You're going to have to get in there where God is at. The high priest literally once a year went behind the veil for 15 minutes and opened heaven over Israel for a solid year. And Israel walked in a supernatural dimension. Oh, now let me me get real with you right now. Amen. Amen. Look, This is what the Bible said. It it, it talks about the Syrophoenician woman. It said she came, and tell me what she did, somebody that knows the verse. She worshiped. Didn't say she came and she thanked him. Didn't say she came and she praised him. She came and she worshiped. She just went right through the process so fast that she got right to the matter of item of business on hand and she worshiped. You know what happened? In worship, she found out her daughter had been delivered of that demonic spirit as she was in worship. There was a leper who came. Never one time mentioned his leprosy. He came and worshiped Jesus and only then did he present his need and he got a miracle. Amen. Why? We are in the the problem with many of us is we are in the habit of coming to God and laying all of our burdens out there before we ever go through this paradigm or this process to get to where God is at. We're standing on the outside of the tabernacle saying, Hey, I need some help in there. Hey, God, you in there somewhere? Anybody home today? Pick up the phone. Amen. And we don't bother to go through the process necessary. I am convinced that that happens much more in churches than people realize. What's this? This is Jennifer Phillips auditioning for The X Factor in the UK. I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. Go ahead. privilege to be here. What are you going to say? Uh, Halo. Are you sure? Are you sure? Do you have a second song? Well, oh gosh. Okay, I love Celine Dion, so let me do a big song of um, "Alone." I don't know if it is. I, 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 I hate that song so much. Yeah. It's a bit. It's a bit X Factor auditioning. I love that song. Why don't you ask? I'm just looking at your song choices here, and if you don't mind, I would love to hear "Shackles," Mary Mary. I love that as well. Yeah. Why don't we start with "Shackles"? Because we all love that song. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, well, good luck. You gotta love that. just can't see the find the reason to believe Why I can't break free You see that I have been down for so long Full of hope is gone But as I lift my hands I understand that I shall praise him through my search Show you that to call attention to her gift, which she obviously has. I mean, you like to be able to sing like that. I'm a man, and I'd like to be able to sing like that. <laughs> the point I'm making is did you notice the reaction of the audience, the judges? You see it every music awards that they have in this country whether it's hip-hop or whether it's country and western, they always want to do what? Bring a gospel choir up on the platform. And you know what happens? Everybody goes as far as praise. Even your judges. But nothing supernatural happens. They walk out in the same condition, go back to the same stuff, live in the same life, no marriage is fixed nobody's healed, nobody's delivered, nobody's saved because you see, the world will go as far as thanksgiving. It will even go as far as praise. But you're not going to get into the supernatural realm where it's all gold unless you enter into worship. There is another realm beyond that. And that is where true transformation occurs. Worship coverings help you reach that dimension when you can't get there by yourself. Because when you join together with other people who uh, know their assignment, their calling, like our music team is to lead you through that. Most of you in the course of a Sunday never realize there is a particular movement orchestrated in terms of the selection of songs and everything that's happened. I want them to come back with me, and I'm, I'm going to close. The Look, here is what you need to understand. Thanksgiving is about the intellect. Stop and consider this. You literally, when you come in from that world burdened down with life, you have to stop and remind yourself and think about what God has done for you. Because you can be so wrapped up in the enormity of the situation that you're currently walking through that you don't remember the many victories that he's already given you. And this is why God legislated divinely legislated there will be certain events in the course of the year whether you know what they're for or not I'm going to tell you you better have them on your books and there better be certain holidays where you remember the Lord that brought you out of Egypt don't you ever forget this in an ordinance to all of your generations as long as you exist as a people you remember the Passover hello somebody you remember your sojourn in the wilderness you remember you crossed over Jordan's River you remember what I did for you put this group of stones right there and call him Ebenezer hitherto hath the Lord helped us you remember I did some stuff for you you couldn't do by yourself because it's easy to forget that in the heat of the moment and the pressure of the moment you can forget all of that that's the mind thanksgiving literally causes you to discipline your intellect to remember what God did for you but you know where praise comes from it comes from another part of who you are the, bodies, the Bible says we're body, soul, and spirit. In fact, the Lord said the first commandment is you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It encompasses all three of these components. Intellect, body, and heart. So when you come to praise, there are seven Hebrew words for praise, and they describe such things as clapping the hands, singing, dancing, shouting, Lifting the hands, there's Hebrew words for all of this. But When you come to worship in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for worship meant to bow down. And it's not like this. If you believe it's sad, just go to the Middle East with me sometime. Go to a, and watch Muslims do their prayer right in the airport. This is what real worship is. notice where the intellect has just been placed it has been made lower than your heart in the normal position your heart is beneath your head but in worship your heart is elevated above your head